are listening to the Cumberland Road Podcast. I am your host, TJ Melanoski. Melinda Reams is a retired pharmacist specializing in compounds, and she is a member of the Russellville Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Arkansas. She has been a Sunday school teacher, a director of summer camps, a woman's ministry president, and a conference speaker at the Third Age Retreat. She is currently serving on the Arkansas Presbytery Board of Missions, and she is an elected member of the denomination's ministry council. Melinda considers herself just an ordinary person in the church, but as we go deeper into her faith journey, Melinda is much more than ordinary. She talks about an intuition that has shaped her faith as a youth, adult, and a mother, engaging her throughout her life in both good and dark times. Leaning into this intuition, Melinda feels God's presence, worthiness, and love. So now, my dear friends, here is my conversation with Melinda Reams. Melinda Reams, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I'm so glad that uh, we have this opportunity together. I was thinking earlier today that uh, many years ago, I just started in the role that I'm in now for the Cumberland Presbyterian denomination, and I had never met you before. And it was it was at a general assembly, and you were doing some video blogging, and you put a microphone underneath my nose and said, talk, <laughs> tell everybody who you are. And now fast forward 10, 11 years, and I get to reverse the roles and be in conversation with you and get to know more about you. So I'm very grateful to swap roles with you, but even more so, I'm excited to hear more about your faith journey. Well, great. Well, thank you for having me. We were talking before uh, we started recording that one of your careers was uh, being a pharmacist. And I know nothing more than the individual being on the other side of the counter and handing me uh, a, a white bag with medications in it. So what does the life of a pharmacist look like? Well, it can be many roles. There's hospital pharmacists. There are pharmacists uh, in your local community pharmacy. I worked uh, in a, a hospital first in Georgia. Well, I worked in a small pharmacy in Missouri, and then we moved to Georgia. Then I worked in a hospital, which I really did like. A lot of I had a lot of pharmacists. It was a big hospital. And then we moved to Arkansas, and then I ended up working in a community pharmacy, and. Uh, we, it was really more my cup of tea because I got to establish a relationship with the customers and help them with different things. Our pharmacy actually did compounding. So I really like that because I love the way that 
you can take uh, some natural plant or, you know, a lot of our drugs came from plants. Um, and you can use those ingredients. A lot of those actually ended up being our drugs. But we kind of were going back a little bit and meeting the needs of people that weren't being served by regular medication. And so we would make like, for instance, Finnergan gel, which, you know, if you're nauseated or throwing up, you can't take the pills, but we could make it into a gel. And then you rub it on, it absorbs into your skin, solves the problem. So because this pharmacy that I worked in, eventually I worked relief at first for different, four different stores here in Russ, around Russellville. And then I worked at one C and D drugstore, which is actually like the oldest continuously running pharmacy uh, location in Arkansas. Oh, wow. So yeah. So it's really old, old building. So I went to these compounding schools. We got in at the very beginning. And uh, so went to compounding classes. We would have conventions, seminars, and then eventually got into more of like functional medicine or natural medicine, looking at the root cause. So we did like bioidentical hormones and we, uh, you know, I really was into vitamins and uh, how minerals and vitamins deficiencies can cause problems. And so now that is what I love. I love, I'm retired now, but I am continuously reading books or listening to them on Audible uh, about how to have, how to live a healthier life, how to live longer, how to feel better you know, how to meet up to your potential, you know, is it, you know, is it the food you eat? Is it your, you know, is it your genetics? Uh, I love all of that. Is it, you know, deficiencies because of your genetics? Are you, are you deficient in these minerals or like me? I'm a, um, for instance, one of the first seminars that I went to that was more on functional medicine was in Atlanta. Oh, no, New Orleans. New, let's see. No. Well, anyway, it didn't really matter, but I think it was in uh, Orlando. But uh, we listened to a doctor and she was talking all about vitamin D. And so she described the symptoms and I was like, oh my goodness, that sounds like me. So <laughs> You were doing a self-diagnosis. I, <laughs> I go home, I get my vitamin D checked and it's like 23 and I'm like, oh my goodness. So I uh, start supplementing with vitamin D. And so like two minutes, two months later, it's like, oh my goodness, I just feel better. <laughs> so interestingly, so then later on I did my, uh, I did my, um, I did the 23andMe uh, test, which you can get your raw data of your DNA. And then I was able to put it into another program and it showed me different things. And so evidently, one of the reasons why I was so low on vitamin D, even though that was back when I was young, actually, like my 30s probably, 
is that I'm a not a very good I'm not a very good converter of it. I don't absorb it well, and I don't convert it very well to the active form. So, so there were different causes there, but anyway, that so as a pharmacist, yes, pharmacists do make sure that you get the right medication, and you know try to make sure that you get it. If there's any coupons out there, we usually try to make sure you can, you know, we use the coupons. You know, we are there to, to help with any kind of like vitamin or, you know, over-the-counter needs. You know, we have products that we know work. So really pharmacists are a very, um, they're a huge, um, what's the word, a huge uh, bank load of information. So I would think the life of a pharmacist well, it's a very caring profession, and it puts yes. you in a unique spot because you get to build relationships with members in the community in a safe way. So there may be information that is transferred between you and uh, that individual that only the two of you know, and so there's a level of intimacy there. And I don't, I I'm not a pharmacist, but there's a ministry there because you're sharing some intimate information that is revealing about the individual and you're providing them with information to make them feel better or feel whole. So what, exactly. what was that like to be integrated into many people's lives and, and for a long term, how did you view that? What was that like for you? Well, it was, um, it was kind of exciting and, um, because I love to learn new things to find the key to find, oh my goodness. Oh, look at this. You know, no wonder this person probably feels this way, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I, for me, it was exciting and it, it, you know, I felt like it was my duty to help people. If my mother or my father had gone to their pharmacist, would I want them to take care of my parents? Mm -hmm. Yes, because you don't know. You don't know about insurance, you know? So I just felt like it was my duty. You know, I have to help them. They, they need help. They don't understand that, you know, about you know, taking their medicine or, you know, the insurance ins and outs. And you have to explain it in a in a gentle way, not like they're <laughs> stupid or anything, right. but you know. Right. Yes. Yes. So I so yes. Uh, I felt like, you know, it just it was just what I should be doing. And I also did carry this over to my ministry at the church mm. because, you know, I just, you know, I decided to have like a several times to have like a health fair at church, you know, one time. I was in charge of the children's program. And so my friend, Ann Bartlett, you know, we were talking about the heifer project. And so she said, well, I've always wanted to buy one of those arcs of animals. So I was like, well, let's do it then. Jumped right into it, not realizing that it was $5,000. <laughs> so, so the CPW and the children we had all kinds of different programs. And so one thing that we did was a, a mini health fair. So we had a health fair. We had a doctor there. We had 
uh, bone density testing and we had, you know, the children, you know, showing the food pyramid and different things. And this was we, at the church. People could at the church, yes. From the community could come yes. to the church for this health fair. Okay. Yes. And then one time it wasn't to make money. We eventually did get the $5,000 only because Ann said, how much more money do you need? (laughs) (laughs) He wrote me a check for $50 or something. But yes, we, we got the animals. We bought the $5,000 arc of animals. And so, but another time I had a women's health fair at the church because a friend of mine at Lanita uh, Benson she mentioned at the women's, you know, at the women's CPW retreat that we had, we had every year that she would just love that. So I was like, mm. so we had this women's health, you know, festival at the church. It was a seminar. I had this wonderful doctor come and she spoke about, about water, using water in health. Mm-hmm. It was very, really interesting. We had workshops. We had a dietitian there. So we had people from the community and from, you know, some people from Arkansas come, CPW ladies. We had a good group from Camden come. Those ladies are awesome down there. So that was really good. And then I've, I've spoke, spoken at the Third Age Retreat to uh, several times about vitamin D and just about new health, you know, new things about health because you hear things like, oh, yes, oh, this is, you know, oh, take vitamin E. It's really good for you. It's the best thing. It'll, you know, make you live longer. Don't take vitamin E. That stuff will kill you. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you hear so many different things, you know, about you know, the things that, you know, the opinion changes. So I did go to Third Age Retreat, which is a retreat for older adults in uh, Arkansas. And it's usually held in um Ferncliff or Ferndale, right outside Little Rock at the 4-H Center. And it's for the older people. And just a wonderful group of Cumberland Presbyterians. Let me tell you, I love those people. So uh, I always loved going there and talking to them about various, you know, health, you know, health uh, issues. So anyway. As a pharmacist, I did use my uh, pharmacy knowledge to, you know, you know, to uh, open the eyes or to educate, you know, people in any way that I could. Right, caring, so, caring for the body and the soul go yes. together. Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, hearing the enthusiasm in your voice. Uh, for the caring of others and for uh, the medicinal purposes and <laughs> and the exercise and and all the things that go together, uh, Melinda. What as a child? What did the young Melinda want to be when she grew up? Well, I wanted to be a professional tennis player. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll talk more about that. Oh. Well. Well, that was just my, my, you know, well, when I was probably like 13 or so, I guess, we had this wonderful young preacher come to our church. His name was George Estes. And so he was very, um, he was very competitive and very good at things. And so 
he taught me how to play tennis and I just loved it. And so that was kind of my guide. That was kind of my, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to be a professional. Yeah. Oh yeah. Play tennis. Well, I'm not very big and you have to have a lot of, you have to have muscles even for tennis. So that didn't last very long. But then I went to college at the University of Arkansas and I decided, yeah, that, well, I thought about being a nurse. My sister was a nurse, but I went with her, you know, to the hospital a couple of times. And when someone was having a baby or just um, to observe and I decided that I don't think that I wanted to, you know, (laughs) be uh, to touch people and. But I do want to help them, but you know I don't want to have to do those kind of things. That's funny. You want to give them drugs, but That's you don't right. really want yes. to touch them. <laughs> yes. Or you know have to do procedures. Like I could never give a shot to anybody. I hate I hate needles. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I thought. Even though now pharmacists are giving shots, and I had to do it. But anyway, that's what I thought. I could never give a shot to a baby, so I can't be a nurse. So I thought about being a pharmacist. So I had gone, you know, I decided that I wanted to be a pharmacist. I almost, I worked at the intramural, I worked at the intramural office there in, at the University of Arkansas. And I uh, have always been good at making newsletters. And so that was my job. I, I produced the newsletter for the intramural office. So. I really wanted to be a person. There wasn't really a so-called job description back then, but I wanted to be a person that would go to a company and be in charge of their fitness and their health Mm. and have fun things like, okay, you know, today we're going to, we're going to go to, yeah, we're going to plan a trip and we're going to go to Florida. We're going to go to uh, the Keys. And so every day we're going to walk so far. So people, okay, you got to walk. Hey, you have to walk to Memphis today. You know, you have to walk to blah, blah, blah. You know, think of fun ideas Mm -hmm. to make make things healthy for people. That was really what I wanted to do. But there was no job description. And it was during like, you know, the recession. And I thought, oh, my God, I've got to have a job. So I continued on with my pharmacy plans. And then I went to pharmacy school. And so I was able to, in a way, incorporate that kind of thing with what I'm doing and mm. with pharmacy. So it worked out, it worked out well in the end. Let's talk about how your faith uh, walks alongside and was integrated into your vocation. But before we get into that, Melinda, When do you think, or when did you see your relationship with God begin? Was it early in life? Was it later in life? Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Well, I kind of have a faith story that I can tell you. It's rather long, and it it also will answer that question. All right. I would say that it was more later in life, because I believe it is a process. So I grew up in the Rose City Church, Rose City in North Little Rock, which is hands down the most wonderful church in the CP denomination. So 
so uh, my mother had gone to that church. She lived in Rose City. And then my father, he went to the Newton Chapel, Cumberland Presbyterian Church in South Arkansas. And uh, our ancestors, actually, my great great grandfather gave the land to have the church, to put the church on. Mm-hmm. Hence, the, hence the name Newton Chapel. So I was very ingrained in Cumberland Presbyterianism from an early age. Before you even knew what a Cumberland Presbyterian <laughs> was. <laughs> yes. And growing up in the Rose City Church was just full of love. So many wonderful people have come out of that church or been pastors of that church. Charles Faith was the pastor, George Estes, Sam Wayman, Bill Wood is from, was from that church, one of our missionaries to Columbia for many years. It was a wonderful church. I always felt so loved. And the church always, you know, went over and beyond. You know, they took us to the children's home as young people. We always went to camp, you know. I was able to go to um, CPYC. And then my mother, you know, was a member of CPW. And so she drugged me all around to CPW events and Mm. General Assembly. So I I grew up, um, you know, with a, you know, with a, a good basic, you know, Cumberland Presbyterian um, church life. And I think I got, you know, I was lucky that our parents would let me, uh, you know, or encourage me to do all these activities. Because I remember I used to go to I would work at junior camp and then I would go to senior high camp at Camp Penile, which is our Presbytery, uh, Presbyterial camp. And then I would go to CPYC and it would be almost like three days, you know, three weeks in a row. And so, but I grew up, you know, in the CP church and I, um, and I was always so grateful for the time there at Rose City. And the good group of young people and the relationships that I had from that church. And even though that church is closed now, it still lives on. And all the wonder, wonderful people that, you know, went through that church. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't ever even think of it as being sad and being closed. It's, you know, that's, that's, that is the way things go. Things, churches grow and they peak and then they may they may die and may close but they live on in so many people so I went so I used to think that I was just your average girl that grew up in the CP church and so one time oh I don't know probably about six years ago I was um, at a meeting for the minister, for the missions ministry team, and uh, Edith, the director of ministries, asked me if I would share my faith story. And I was like, "Hmm, well, I don't really have a, I don't really have a faith story, you know." That's what I thought, but as it turns out, I really do. I'm not just an ordinary girl that grew up in the CP church. Uh, 
you know, I have a very unusual story. It's kind of interesting. I remember that. Um, so when, whenever I was, like I said, I uh, went to CPYC. And when I was there, the first time that I went, I met this girl from Missouri and her name was Carla Davis. And now her name is Carla Bellis. She still lives in Missouri. We were uh, in the cabin and our, our cabin mothers, uh, one of them was um, Ellie Scredder, who I just loved, and uh, Marion Sweet. And uh, we became fast friends. And so at CPYC, I remember, you know, being my mind, you know, was being a Christian, my mind was expanded. Camp Penile was, was a lot of fun, but, you know, I had been there since junior camp. And so it was something special to go to CPYC. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I just, I just thought it was wonderful. And I still do. I think it's such a wonderful gift for the C- for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. So uh, when I was there, like I said, I met Carla. And I remember that, uh, that so then we were also picked to be, both of us, to be on the uh, planning committee for the next year. So we were there. And so I remember that. Uh, I was always like a little bit more mischievous than Carla or so, so I thought. <laughs> so I remember in a, my impression, I mean, I always, like, for instance, uh, I always thought that, you know, I was, uh, I was a good Christian, but I didn't know if I was really, you know, you know, as good as other people because I was mischievous. I was a little bit different. Carla, when she prayed now, she would really pray. I mean, and I would be kind of like looking at the guys like, oh, look at him. (laughs) Checking out the boys. You know, I remember there was someone else there. His name was Thomas Sweet. I was in class with him one time. We were talking about some Bible verse, you know, and it was like Jesus walked down the road, blah, blah, blah. And the teacher was saying, what does that mean? I was like, well, Jesus walked down the road. Oh, no. Thomas Sweet said, oh, that means blah, 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 blah. And this, and Jesus actually, you know, Jesus is on a journey, blah, blah, blah. I was amazed. I was like, wow, these people are real Christians. Hmm. So I remember that. So then time passed, time passed. So I still, you know, I I graduated. Uh, The last, uh, after I graduated, my mom, I think, I believe my mother and dad were going to General Assembly. And so I decided to go with them. And it was at Bethel College. So when I was there at Bethel College, we were doing some youth activities. And so as it turns out, Carla's sister, Joe, was there. Joe was a middle child. And so she was a little bit more like me. (laughs) She was like kind of mischievous, you know, so we like skipped some meeting and we went, we borrowed my friend Tom Wilkins car. We rode to the next town and went to this super, this buffet and everything. So it was, it was, you know, it was funny. (laughs) So we were, 
we were at a, a youth activity and they were giving away t-shirts and it was Sarah Davidson from Arkansas, Pamela Bone. She had been, they had been in Arkansas for a while and then Joe and me. And so they were giving away t-shirts and this voice in my head was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to win this t-shirt. And so they called my name out. I won the t-shirt. I thought, well, that's really, gosh, that's really weird. Time passes. Then I go to the U of A. I go to pharmacy school. I meet my husband. I um, get married. I graduate. Then we moved to Missouri for a while. And then we moved to Savannah, Georgia. So there we uh, both ended up working in hospitals, different ones. Oh, that's so, right, because your your husband is also a pharmacist. Yes, yeah. yes, he is. Yes. So we had a set. We got a sailboat when we were in Missouri, and then we just decided, well, we ought to just go move live by the ocean. So we did, and we loved Savannah. So we were going on vacation. So I looked at my my bank account to get some money out, and I said, "Oh no, we don't have any money. <laughs> Where did it go?" So I go over to the credit union and as I go, when I go to the credit union, they're having a contest and it's uh, you can win a cruise for $900 or there's two $100 prizes. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to win this. I can't believe it. So I get money out of the credit union. I go back to work. And then that afternoon they call me and they say, you have won the cruise, you know, that's worth $900. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is really weird. <laughs> Time passes. You know, we end up having three daughters, wonderful daughters. We, we moved back to Arkansas. I, uh, you know, I, I end up getting a job where I worked for different people. And so I sign up for this contest on the radio and it was for a little trailer. It was for a trailer and a John Deere um, edger and uh, a John Deere lawnmower. And so my husband calls me at work one day and I'm, he says, guess what? I said, I bet I won the lawnmower. Did I? And he says, yes. Mm. So that one cost us money, though, because it was actually a game trailer that you pull behind a four-wheeler that we did not have yet. <laughs> so then I, I won like a gold watch. I signed up and I want to go watch. So it was very weird because I could tell I had this intense feeling that I was going to win. So one time I, I, I told my husband, I said, Alan, we're going to get a check in the mail. And so we did get a check. It was for my daughter, Emily, the middle one. She was a delegate to General Assembly that year. And so we get this check in the mail, which I uh, almost had to call and the state clerk and ask her to re to re uh, issue because I couldn't find it. And then I finally looked in the recycling, you know, and oh, there <laughs> with the other paper. And there it was. You're, so, you're having just so much luck that you throw it away. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's very yeah, interesting. Yes. So, um, and by the way, my daughter went to General Assembly that year. She was on the finance committee or 
one of those committees. I said, Emily, what did you learn at General Assembly? And she says, I learned that insurance costs a lot of money and we don't have any money. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, you're right. So I, uh, so I, you know, I just was like, you know, I could not conjure this feeling up, but I would get these feelings, this intense feeling that I would know what's going to happen. So I, uh, during that time, I had this problem with my arm, pushing the, a bottle in and turning it, you know, that's child proof. Uh, I had a, I started getting this problem with my upper arm. So I went to the doctor and I got an x-ray and then they said it was fine. Then they call me back and they want me to get like an MRI. So I do that. And then I'm at work and I'm at a place that's 30 minutes, you know, from town, from town. And my husband comes in and, and I'm like, what is going on? So he had gotten a doc, one of the radiologists to look at that x-ray. And so he had said, oh, well, that's cancer. That is what that, what that is. And so I was like, what? What are you talking about? Bone cancer. So I uh, am like, well, you know, I'm kind of a skeptic about things like that. I never think that I'm sick. So I go along and then I'm, you know, I have to wait two days, you know, and then I'm like, well, do you think it could be? Oh my goodness. Surely not. No, I don't think so. So I finally, you know, I I get the, I get an MRI actually then, and it shows that it's not. So Anyway, that was a weird happening. It's like, gosh, that's really weird. So then, uh, well, and I have trouble ever, like, you know, two or three years, my arm will start hurting again. Kind of weird. So, but in the meantime, my my daughters are getting older. The youngest one is a junior. In the summer before her junior year, we're at a birthday party for my great niece. And her, her, her leg starts hurting her, uh, her thigh. And so that's like really weird. It's not her knee, it's her thigh. So very odd. So we take her to the doctor the next day. They do an x-ray and they see a tumor in her, in her bone, mm. in her bones. That's so then we have to go to an orthopedist. My husband works at the hospital, so he knows a lot of the doctors and we were able to get her her in quicker. So after the x-ray, which was at the doctor's office, they they send her in for a CT scan. And so uh, at the hospital. So the radiologist who happens to live next door to us comes out and shows us the pictures and tells us it's cancer. So it's like shocking. It's like, what? But he's a little bit of an oddball and he, you know, just jumped right into that without any, and just goes into this explanation. And so we're like, oh my gosh, this cannot be happening. Hmm. So we, uh, the orthopedic, Pedist here is able to get us into Children's Hospital, where they uh, they look at it and they, they say there's no way that we can know if this is cancer or not. We have to, you know, 
you know, we have to plan for the worst, but hope for the best. So during this time, I had this feeling that, uh, that everything was fine. I, I could tell that everything was fine. So uh, I never really wavered. I always felt like, no, it's not cancer. It's not cancer. So, you know, that's, a, that's such a scary feeling to be told, well, you know, it's probably cancer. You know, those are the, you know, your life can change in a day. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So, so then we have to, you know, thank goodness our, the orthopedist here is able to get us into children's hospital in Little Rock, um, you know, pretty, you know, pretty quickly. And so we didn't have that much waiting to do. But during this time, like I said, I could feel God's presence telling me that, uh, that, you know, that it wasn't cancer. So um, my daughter has to go and have surgery and they have to remove the tumor and they put a metal plate in her leg. So a couple of days before, you know, I'm, I'm in the office and I'm, uh, it was like everybody's asleep but me and I'm, I'm watching TV. And then uh, like Joel Osteen comes on. I guess he used to come on like at 10 o'clock or something. And so 1030. And so I'm just listening to him. And he says, <laughs> he says, well, you know, God gives you inside information. And, uh, you know, you know how he is. He repeats things. So he said it several times. Oh, yes, yes. God gives you inside information. So I was like, I was like, what? You talking to me? (laughs) (laughs) So I looked back, you know, I was like, yeah, I believe he is talking to me. And I am never, I'm not going to let my mind go towards the bad thing that could happen if this was cancer. So I didn't, we got to the hospital, you know, we have lots of people praying for Taylor and she has the, she has the surgery. It's a collagen tumor and she gets it removed. And then she has a plate in her leg. And so she had to go back, you know, every year for, you know, every six months for so long. So she's doing well. So at that, you know, so I looked at that and I was like, oh my goodness, God was preparing me way back <laughs> when I was in high school and at General Assembly by telling me, hey, yeah, what you feel, I am, I'm letting you know what's going to happen. It's going to be okay. So that was very, that was very amazing to me that that occurred and I was like oh my goodness you know hey and that really was a turning point in my faith because I started realizing how uh, worthy and how uh, much God loved me from being me and you know that I need to be aware of those things so that helped me to you know that encouraged me you know, to try to uh, listen to God more and to know when there are things that I can do, Mm. you know, to 
make people realize how much they are worth in Christ. So, unfortunately, uh, God didn't give me that sixth sense for winning things anymore. So, (laughs) (laughs) that was the end of that. So, let's linger here for for a minute. Um, this intuition, uh, feelings, you, you refer to him as feelings. Do you believe that's how God spoke to you and speaks to you? And if so, how, how come it comes so sporadically? Or does it I come, I'm, I'm giving you it out now, oh, oh. does it come when it's needed the most? Well, I think that it maybe it does. I think I think that it's it's helped me to uh ask and receive from God more. Mm-hmm. To uh I think it's helped me to deal with things. Uh I, I think that um and it's helped me to deal with things that are bad and to know that God with God I will get through it. Right. You know, God is not the fairy godmother that grants, you know, that grants everything that we say. And, uh, you know, like, so, but God is there for us and he uh, is helping us to, he's enabling us and he is uh, encouraging us to be the best person that we can be in Christ is what I think. So, yes, I think, I think that awakened the sense that, that I'm a very capable person in Christ and that, uh, you know, that I can also help other people to know what they're, you know, worth in Christ and that God loves them the way that they are. Right. So, so let's talk about the maturity of, of the faith from, the intuition of winning a t-shirt to the intuition <laughs> of of keeping composure and becoming a a support for a child who is facing surgery i mean that that's a big difference you know oh oh but i knew that she was going to be okay because of the past feelings that I'd had. I had that, I had that feeling that so, was, you know, so yeah. it was no, there was no doubt in my mind that she was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it just grew. I think that it's really, it's hard to describe, but it was like an, an intense feeling that, you know, oh my goodness, I'm going to get a check in the mail. Now, why would I think that? <laughs> right. Yeah? Oh, we're we're going to get a check in the mail. Right, right. Oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, oh yeah, Taylor's going to be okay. No, she's going to be okay. It's not cancer. Mm-hmm. So it was just an intense feeling that, yes, she is going to be fine. No, it's not cancer. And then why, would, why did my arm hurt? And why did I, why did they this misdiagnose me as having cancer, bone cancer? Huh, goodness. So Right. When when you know the normal yeah. human response is to live in that, live in the bad news. Yes. Oh, I they've told me I have cancer. 
therefore yeah. I must have cancer. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well, so maybe that that was, but that's so weird that my daughter would have, you know, they think she's got bone cancer when, oh, they tell me that I have cancer, bone cancer, which, so very, very odd, very odd, yes, but it really, it really increased my faith and showed me that uh, it really put me into a new level, I think of my Christian faith. Right. And over a long period of time, it wasn't an overnight, it wasn't a light switch. That's true. We're talking about years and decades. Yes, yes, yes. So Melinda, what what advice would you give for somebody who is not faith connected, uh, who would hear (sighs) this, hear your faith journey and maybe hasn't had the same experience, that strong feeling, that intuition that God is present? Well, I think that it really helps um, if you're going to allow God in and if you're going to see the things, you know, if you're going to um, be fully uh, capable as a Christian for what you can do. You need to see yourself more like God sees you. And I think that you need uh, to really understand yourself better. I, uh, one of the things that helped me was um, learning about the Enneagram, which is a a personality like test that you do. And it's, it has a spiritual rim to it because it's, um, and it helps you to look at yourself the way you are. And like you have your good aspects And then you have your bad aspects. And so the more that you can understand yourself, the more you understand why God loves you, I think. And the more you're, the more receptive to God that you are. For instance, you know, for instance, I know some things. I know what some of my downfalls are. It's like Paul said in the Bible, you know, why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? Right, right. Part of that is part of your personality. And, uh, you know, it's all linked. Like I said, body, mind, spirit, learning more about all of that and how things are intertwined for me has really helped. So I think the more you know about yourself, the more you realize that God loves you in spite of your bad qualities. He loves you for your good qualities. The more that you are able to do the same for other people and see them for like, for what God sees the good in them. That, that's so that, interesting. That helps me, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so yes. the, the self-discovery and maybe even the dirty work that that comes along with that, you know, those yes. revelations that come with self-discovery, that seeking, that searching, 
in a way also is a revelation about who God is and in the very presence of God. Yes. And it helps me to be more uh, non-judgmental of other people. If uh, you know where I might be because they're different than me, mm-hmm. but now I'm more, Oh, but God loves them. You know, they might be annoying to me in certain aspects, but <laughs> they have aspects that God loves. And therefore, I need to try to love them also. So that's helped me a lot is to be, you know, to be more understanding of people. I think the, that when you see, you know, the way that God loves you, like, you know, me at CBYC, thinking that I wasn't, maybe I'm not a real good Christian. I'm not holy. I'm mischievous and like to do, you know, but as it turns out, oh, yes, I, I am a good Christian, <laughs> just as good as everybody else. Oh, yes. You know, I might be five minutes late for every meeting, but you know what? I have my good points. I make up it with, I make up for it in other ways. So it, it, you know, it helps me to realize, you know, that, you know, our God is a mighty God and he is there with us. So, you know, he's with us. Well, one of the, help us along. One of the attributes, one of the gifts that you have, Melinda, that I've always appreciated is your ability to dream and to think forward and think into the future, uh, and specifically for a community of faith, you know, in Cumberland Presbyterians and Christians. So this question is aimed right at you as somebody who enjoys looking into the future, enjoys dreaming and, and envisioning what could be, what can be. What are your dreams for the church? For the Cumberland Presbyterian Church? Yeah, I always like to leave that open so we can talk about <laughs> the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. We can talk about the church at large and universal church. You tackle one or both, whatever you choose. Well, I, you know, in my mind, um, I told you about the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. I'm a certain number on the Enneagram. We like to look at the future. We are excited about things going that are going to happen. And so we are always looking ahead. So for me, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, I am looking ahead and I am seeing that we are such a unique church. Here we are, this little bitty church, but yet we have so many churches that are of different cultures. That is very exciting to me. You know, we have Chinese churches. You know, I have a friend who lives in San Francisco. I go there for a a meeting, my daughter and I. He meets us and takes us to a Chinese restaurant. Dom is his name. And then guess what? Oh, well, Presbytery is going on in Chinatown in San Francisco. Oh, so we go over there and we go to the Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Presbytery. And so I sit down, Mike Walls, who is also from Arkansas, who is in charge of the, the uh, pause right now, 
So, and he's, he looks at me and is like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> I just happened to be in San Francisco going to a, a pharmacy, you know, a conference. And so it's great, you know? So then I have you know, friends that are Choctaw. I go over to, you know, to their camp and my daughter and I do my other, other daughter and we stay a few days and it's just, you know, just wonderful. We, uh, one time our CPWM group, we went over to a regional meeting in the Choctaw area and, oh my goodness, we, uh, it was just wonderful. We, uh, went to church the next day, you know, Betty Jacobs and Randy took us around and just showed us all these wonderful things. They, we went to church and it was in this small white church. We had a a woman preacher named Hannah, and it was one of the most spiritual services I have ever been in. It was great. You know, I love the diversity in our church. I, I love meeting the people from different cultures and different countries. Now, right now, I'm on the ministry council of the CP Church, and I have Angelica, who is from Colombia, and Juan David, who is also from Colombia, and we have Ted from Japan. And I really, I love talking to them, and, and I'm hoping, you know, uh, that we can have more involvement from people on our uh, minister council and our teams that are from other cultures. And I'm very concerned. So I love our cross-cultural aspect. They are, you know, they, uh, our cross-cultural churches contribute so much to our denomination. And I'm so appreciative and that we have them. So to answer your question, I see this, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church being more welcoming and inclusive to other cultures, especially I think that we need to uh, promote. We have, we have children and teens, young adults that uh, might be Hispanic or Korean, and yet they have grown up in the United States. And so I see this whole group of people, members, I see them as a wonderful asset. And for inside the United States, having more of a contribution from that group of people, because um, as our church, are we are we getting more global? Well, yes, we are. So we need more involvement, not only from our global churches, but also our cross cultural here in the U.S. Because that's a that's, that's a unique set of people. So the CP Church, I see being um, a lot more mingling of uh, the different cultures, I think. Yeah, you see that multicultural, multi-international, multi-ethnic, little denomination yes. Yes. makes it unique. 
It does. Yes. And that uni- I, I, and that uniqueness should be or can be appealing and inviting to others who are also wanting to participate and be a part of a community of faith. Yes. And I see that, you know, when our church was founded, it was founded because of a need. The founders said, oh, my goodness, there's a need in the frontier Mm -hmm. to, you know, reach out, you know, and comfort these people that are in the frontier. Partly that was because if you had a baby and your baby died and you were Presbyterian, would that baby go to heaven? The answer was no, it would not, as far as my understanding. So they, that was part of that, you know, that was part of the whole need is, hmm, maybe we should rethink that, that part of it. Where, you know, think of the need of these frontier babe, people who lost babies. So I think that there's a new frontier out there and it involves our unique position to reach out to, uh, you know, this group of people, the group of people in the U.S. and outside. Mm-hmm. And also, I think since the pandemic occurred that, you know, that things are a little bit different now. And I think people are, they are uh, hurting and they are, uh, you know, you see so much injustice and so much hurt in the world that, they want a church to that gives them comfort. And also, don't forget what I got back back there in that Rose City Cumberland Presbyterian Church. <laughs> Acceptance and love. Yeah. That lasted a lifetime. Yeah. And continues to this day. And yes. Melinda, you have been sharing what you have received to the church on many levels. <clears throat> Presbyterial level, denominational level, with your time and with your gifts. Before we close up, uh, are there are there books that you're reading, or maybe movies that you have saw or watched um, that have impacted your faith, that have impacted your life, that you think are worth mentioning? Hmm. Well, I love to read, so I have read a lot of a lot of books. I think as far as like impacting my faith, you know, one of them that I read was, um, it was by Corey Ten Boom. It was, you know, my mother back in the day, she was in this Christian book club. And so I have tons of these kind of books, the, the, the hiding place. Okay. And it was about Corey Ten Boom. And, and so she and her family, they, I think they lived like in Denmark and they were uh, hiding uh, Jewish people. And so they got sent to uh, one of the concentration camps. And so while they were there, they got lice. And so Corey was saying, oh, my goodness, you know, how awful. And her sister said, no, that's not awful, because if we have lice, then the the guards will leave us alone. They won't bother (laughs) us. (laughs) They won't come near us. 
And so that's great. You know, that's wonderful. And so that book, even though it's old fashioned, it's old, was such a faith story. I mean, how could you be in a concentration camp and still, you know, look on the bright side and, you know, Mm. and have such a, a faith in God? So that was a very inspirational book for me. All right. So. And it's called The Hiding Place. Yes, yes. It's about her time there. And and later on, you know, they, they met some of the guards, a, a guard that was one of their uh, uh, guards in their barracks, you know, and they, it talks about forgiving them. And it was just, it's such an inspiration, hmm. you know, for me to think about that. Melinda, thank you. Oh, oh. oh, do you have another book? No, I don't. But I do have, uh, I do want to say that um, somebody else that has helped me, uh, I have been inspired by and um, encouraged, and I'm so proud of, are our uh, women preachers that we have. I have many times gone to conferences or been in workshops or we had, actually we had a spirituality, spirituality Cumberland Presbyterian women's conference and they had it here at Russellville and the group of women ministers that we had was just outstanding and so inspirational. I am just so grateful for those, that group of women. Mm -hmm. And so I want to say that they have, um, you know, by their faith and their, you know, striving for excellence in so many ways, whether it's preaching or it's giving a workshop, that that's really encouraged me also. Yeah. So I want to, I want to make sure that I include them and I, I so appreciate them. Yeah. The fortitude and the gifts and the patience yes. that women in leadership in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church is amazing. It is amazing. Yes. Melinda, thank you for giving me part of your day and sharing your faith journey. I appreciate you and your time and your service to the church and your tolerance of me over the years. And it really is kind of neat to come full circle I do vividly remember you sticking a microphone underneath my nose, <laughs> and I didn't know who this redheaded woman was. <laughs> I don't think you liked it very much. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, um, I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Melinda. All right. Thank you, TJ. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Melinda Reams. If you enjoy Cumberland Road, Consider subscribing on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting site. And now, let me leave you with some words from Corey Tinboom in her book, In the Hiding Place. Do you know what hurts so very much? It's love. Love is the strongest force in the world. And when it is blocked, that means pain. There are two things we can do when this happens. 
We can kill that love so that it stops hurting. But then, of course, part of us dies too. Or we can ask God to open up another route for that love to travel.